Welcome to the Flea Podcast. This is Troy and Byers, and we are here with another late nights at Blockbuster. Uh, we don't have an anniversary on this movie. It's just one of our favorite movies, and so we were just like, why not open up the year with a bang and uh, and do some fun Christopher Nolan movies? So we've got Inception coming uh, up for you right now, and we're going to be working on Interstellar in the weeks to come, uh, along with a couple of our top fives uh, that we've got. And then we'll get into uh, our... Uh, we'll give a little preview of the movies that we're working on for our anniversaries. We got um, some 5, 10, 15, 20, and 25th anniversaries, some 30s and some 40s. Oof. We, got a, we got 140. We got yeah, 140. One, there's a, a big really one. big one out there that if you look at the movies of 1983, you'll know which one is right up our alley. Like so. in two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so with that, we've got the, the late nights at Blockbuster um, uh, to discuss Inception. Uh, this was released in 2010 and directed and written by Christopher Nolan, one of the few that he didn't write with his brother, Jonathan. Uh, thought that that was kind of interesting. It stars uh, Leonardo DiCaprio as Cobb, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Arthur, Elliot Page as Ariadne Grande. <laughs> Marie Cotillard as Mal, uh, Michael Caine as Miles, Tom Hardy as Eames, Ken Watanabe as Saito, uh, Delip uh, Rao as Yusuf, Killian Murphy as Robert Fisher, and Tom Berenger, the the infamous Tom Berenger uh, as Browning. So, and I wanted to go through all those people because, man, that's just a murderer's row of of uh, people i mean not necessarily superstars in their own right but like we've talked a lot about like um like some of the harry potter movies and some of these other movies obviously avengers and those guys kind of get big uh ensembles but like this doesn't seem like that type of movie but yet we've got um we've got some some really good uh, actors in this michael Caine probably doesn't show up enough to really count in that but i'm just going to throw him in there because it's michael Caine in a in a in a christopher nolan movie yeah so, yeah yeah they must have a deal going there because he just shows up like he's barely in this thing it's like hey we just come yeah. by i just need like yeah. five minutes today can you just run just be the lines? dad just yeah. be the dad come on dad. do it do it you can do it yeah um, and then, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the music by Hans Zimmer. Um, so uh, a a unique uh, soundtrack for this one. Uh, not like your typical uh, Hans soundtrack. He gets to explore the studio space here with some gongs and some loud, like, <laughs> weird stuff going on, which totally fits. Yes. Yeah. He so. nails the tone. He does it well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let's uh, kick it off as we always do after the intro with uh, what do you love about this movie? I love how it just gets better every time I watch it. Mm -hmm. Like there's just so much more to figure out and so much more to process. So like once that, you know, once you get through like one layer, it's like, all right, let's watch this again and I'm going to catch more stuff and I'm going to understand more and it's going to make a little more like Mm -hmm. it just gets better every time. Um, just it's like a fine wine um which i know nothing about but that's a good phrase so it is a good phrase it's better <laughs> with age yeah um while th- while this is not my favorite nolan movie like we've done our top nolan movies and this wasn't number one on my list this uh, but 
I think this might be like the pinnacle of his powers. Like mm, the things mm-hmm. that Nolan does that are so different than everybody else. I think this might yes. be like the perfect blend. Like he's he's almost gotten there before this and, and he goes, there's some stuff after this that you're kind of like, all right, I saw some of that coming. Like you didn't get me the same way. Like Tenet just didn't yeah. have some of those same things, stuff like that. But when it's all said and done someday, I, this might be like, this was the perfect like the perfect storm, all the Nolan stuff that came together in just the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely love the back and forth between Arthur and Eames, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and yeah. Tom Hardy's characters mm-hmm. just have great banter. It's like the the one little bit of comic relief that kind of right. mm-hmm. keeps it from being completely heavy because it is really heavy for good reason. Um, like there's just a lot of very deep, very, very weighty things going on in this movie. And they they kind of cut it just a little bit, so it's not too much to bear. Remind me where Inception was on your uh, Christopher Nolan movies. Four. I had Memento, Dark Knight, and Prestige above it. Gotcha. I I had a number two uh, with Interstellar, uh, and as I mentioned um, at the top, uh, we're going to be doing Interstellar first. I watched this one before Interstellar and I'm like, man, did I make the wrong decision? And then I started watching Interstellar and I was like, no, I made the right decision. Uh, but they are very close. Um, uh, I, I would, I would tend to agree with you though, that this is much, a much more audacious, like watch what I can do. It's, it's, it's Patrick Mahomes, like throwing like behind the back passes in, in after like Interstellar, like interstellar is kind of like a no look pass like he's just like oh i'm gonna flip this with my left hand like as i'm <laughs> like running so those types of things that uh just you you i looked at uh there was this this cool thing that was uh that i found in my research it's like his like scribbled out like notes of like how he wanted to structure the movie and it looks like the scribblings of a madman it's just like it's got all the levels of the dream and like when the kicks happen and when all the timing happens and where he wants to put all this stuff together and when you just like look at the totality of it you're just like wow like how how did how did somebody trust him to do this and how did he pull it off in this amazing way you know i'm sure yeah. that some some string theory nerds are just like no that's not possible <laughs> you can't do that um, and we have we'll, we'll have some some little nitpicks here and there, but every question like Lori and Xavier and I watched it all together, and we, and he was he it was since it was his second time, uh, Xavier was like, well, what about this? What about that? And like we had most of the questions uh, answered, you know, like or we thought through and went back to something, and you you hear a different, like you said, a, a different piece of dialogue hits you in a different way. Like, oh, they explain that when Yusuf talks about this and, and puts these these levels in there. So um, I wrote down some questions, and then as I went through, I was like, oh, those, those were kind of answered here, you know? So it just, it's so interesting to like, see these big projects that that have these big ideas and, people try to kind of poke holes in them and once i mean obviously he's creating his own rules so he can just be like well i addressed that in the first act and you just missed it so neener neener you know so so i I love that it just hooks you right from the start with uh, dicaprio on the beach 
Like it, it just, you don't know what's going on. And I love that about Nolan movies. He doesn't allow you any time to catch up. And then he'll start to kind of, he probably, he probably uses exposition the most in this movie. Like, like uh, Arthur's character is there just to spout exposition, you know, like he's just constantly leading you through. But at the beginning of the movie, you're just like, what is going on? I don't understand. And then they kind of lead you a little by little by little. And then like the, the middle is the getting the band together and also exposition, like explosion. So um, I, I think that it throws you in the deep end, but then it also kind of gives you a little bit of a raft after it does that. So it kind of unsettles you, but then kind of like reels you in as you, you get there. I love Yusuf's den. Um, he's like his dude, like, like he, he slaps one of the dreamers and then Yusuf like later slaps Arthur to show like that they're under, <laughs> like you said, like the use of comedy is sparse in here, but like when it, when it hits, it literally hits. So, yeah. How many times do you think they had to film that scene to Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> to not react? All right. He's going right? to slap you in three seconds. Don't move. Right. You're asleep. You can't react. You can't don't do even, anything. Don't even flinch because they're going to see it and they're going to make fun of you. Yeah. Um, the last thing I had was um, it's so quick that I, can't, I, I had to take it out of favorite scene because it's not really a favorite scene. It's just so, so quick. But I love the way that he turns the heist um, plans like on its head. And they're talking about like going through the, the thought process of planting an emotion or a thought in somebody rather than the typical like, here's how we're going to break in and steal the thing or here's how we're going to break in and kill the guys. And so it was just a, a very unique uh, spin on that, uh, that situation. Yeah, it is cool because in a lot of ways it is a heist movie sort of, mm -hmm. I mean, cause it's all, it's all, here's the plan and here's how we're breaking in. And of course, here's how it goes wrong. And we have to improvise and all this stuff, right. but you're not trying to take anything the whole time. They're trying to put something in there. And that is a, of course there's a twist. It's an Olin movie. So we got to turn something right. on its head, flip it around, reverse it. It's here. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to favorite scene. I love the the first kind of audition. They don't know they're auditioning with with Saito, mm -hmm. where uh, I especially love the moment when you realize it's a dream within a dream. Like, yeah, as if being inside someone's dream is not already crazy enough. No, we're gonna throw you right away into a dream within a dream, and yep. like, it was just so cool. Um, because like he figures out the first one right. Like he he's feeling the carpet, and so you're like, oh, they're busted. They didn't make it, so they come out of that, and then nope. They're just in another dream still. Like, it's not over. So, it just, like you said, it doesn't let you breathe. You, you start with that, I'm totally lost, confused by, like, him laying on the beach, and you just jump right into this stuff where right. you're, you're inside a dream that's inside a dream that's, it's just going to throw you off the whole time. So, it's fun. Yeah, and then they introduce, like, this man on the run, like, uh, thread that kind of... Uh, provides like the reason why he can go and meet miles and ariadne and like kind of introduces like miles as his as his father-in-law and uh so it just it just kind of like you said it just kind of 
it's really hard to take some of these scenes out because if we're going to go through them and we're trying to keep them down to a minimum pace, <laughs> like to not explain the movie to you scene by scene and bit by bit. Um, but it, it does lose the plot like a little bit as we go through these. So the next one I have is meeting miles and Ariadne. Like it's, it's a cool introduction to like, not only are we, are we living in dreams and doing dreams within a dreams? We're teaching about this and having people like learn how to be architects, like yeah. at school uh, to do this type of stuff. So, and, and then um, Ariadne like showing off like inside the dream of like all the things that she's like thought about. And like, it's, it's putting that theory and that, um, that knowledge to, to the test and going like, Oh, wow. This is really cool. And and uh, Cobb mentions to, to Arthur, he's like, she'll be back. Like she experienced like the dream and she's going to be back because she can't she can't do all of those things in, in real life. And it just kind of that I think that's right about the time where it just kind of gets it really sinks its hooks into you. Like, yes. you don't care like if it's like you're not following along. You're just kind of in for the thrill of the experience at that by that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I had that too. I really love when he's talking to Ariadne and they're sitting at the cafe and he's telling her all this stuff about like, haven't you ever, you know, you can't ever remember the beginning of a dream. Mm, like he's mm -hmm. explaining it to her and then he goes, so how do we get to the cafe? And like, then you realize, <laughs> oh, we're doing it right now. This isn't real. Like we're in a dream. It's just, it's really cool. Um, that is where it gets you hooked. It's that you're, you're kind of on the fence. Like, all right, I'm lost. Maybe this is cool. And then, yeah, when when the cafe kind of blows up and then when she starts, like, bending the world in on itself, you're just mm -hmm. like, this is so cool. I don't even, yeah. I don't care if I'm lost. I'm going to enjoy the ride. Now. <laughs> so. What did you have after that? I jump all the way and I can't, it's hard to say jump all the way because just writing down scenes gets so hard to follow. Like mm -hmm. you said, uh, I really like the beginning of kind of the heist entering Fisher's mind like just the whole scene in the front of the plane, like mm, everybody mm -hmm. kind of having these little knowing glances and then, you know, stealing his, his passport and all that, like just those little things. That's the heist part of the movie. It's a good beginning to this thing and, and just getting into his mind. I really loved recruiting Eames. Um, this is where Tom Hardy really gets to shine. Um, he, he's kind of little, kind of sprinkled throughout afterwards, but he, he gets like a few moments to himself here, uh, interacting with Cobb and almost steals the scene from him, you know, like he's just a very charismatic character and, and does a really good job in this role. And so, um, I had, uh, the recruiting Eames part, um, and then I moved on to Yusuf and the three level dream. Um, because it's really important as he kind of talks about like, hey, oh, you want to do a dream within a dream? And he's like, nope, I want to do like three levels down. And so like they explain why they need to do it, it really reinforces why like all of this stuff is needed, kind of sets the rules for kind of further uh, furthering and shows how like desperate Cobb is to like make it back to the States and do all of these things and see his kids again, you know? So 
Um, and then I had um, kind of getting back up to where you were. Uh, I had Ariadne and Cobb in his dreams. So she finds out she kind of just horns in on his dreams. Like, like, what's up, dude? You dreaming? Uh, can I join? You know, like, like it's like some like Xbox, like party up, like, <laughs> Hey bro, you playing some call of duty? Like, yeah, let's play some call of duty together. Oh, there's your dead wife. Sorry. This yeah. is a personal moment, you know? So, uh, but I think that it's just so critical to the story um, that she knows what a lot of these other guys have just kind of kept at arm's length, but she realizes the, uh, the danger in like letting, uh, letting Cobb be part of this team. And it's just about to, she's about to pull the plug on it and then boom, in come Arthur and Saito and they're like, all right, it's now. It, and so they don't have an opportunity to say, hold up, we have to. We have to rethink this because Cobb's a, a menace and he he's going to threaten <laughs> to 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 do all of this. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I had that whole thing with Mal and, and Ariande, like getting the backstory finally. Like we've hinted at it up to that point that like, okay, something happened with Cobb and his wife and he can't go home. And like, what is the deal here? And like you get part of the backstory. You think you get the whole backstory. Um, yeah, in that moment in the middle, you find out later there's there's a whole there's other level, level yeah. of course, because well, it's Inception, of course, there's another level. Um, but yeah, I had that one as well. Um, and then I had Mr. Charles. Um, mm. I love the way because, like you said, Arthur's the exposition, and he's yeah. literally just explaining what Mr. Charles <laughs> is while you're watching it, and I'm just like, this is cool. I don't care. Um, but just that whole concept, like we're tricking his subconscious into helping us fight yeah. his own like it, it's so simple in some ways that you're like well mm. th that that would make it easy like you just get him on board and then he does all the work and you're just kind of guiding him and yeah. but it's also just like the most crazy complicated thing ever we just tricked someone's subconscious into uh doing all this stuff so it thinks it's creating its own idea and it's really all us so it's like how jedi mind tricks work inside somebody's brain right <laughs> Um, so you mentioned that even farther on down, um, we had Cobb and Mal's like true story of like, like not even just kind of like the experience of what's going on, but like the, he, he tells, uh, Ariadne, like that he knows Inception is real because he did it to Mal. And here's the whole, here's the whole story behind why he did it and the guilt that he feels, um, for that and why she's still a projection like inside of his subconscious so um which is just gut-wrenching you know yes. on multiple levels you know like just uh we'll get into some of that in like unanswerable questions or i still have questions <laughs> I, nolan wanted us to still have yeah. questions that's what's kind of awesome about this movie yeah. is that he just wants you to live in the questions i love that he doesn't talk about it like so a Never. lot of what what yeah. makes the theory stuff like we're going to get into some theory time at the end here in random thoughts which makes it super fun because he's never come out and said no that doesn't make sense like jk rowling like is we'll constantly like up. yeah it's constantly yeah yeah just like oh nope nope didn't mean that yeah nope like so if like somebody just posits something on twitter she's quick to like say yep that's cool or no that's not and and Nolan just leaves everything open to interpretation, which is kind of 
kind of fun, but also kind of maddening. And I, part of you wants to know, like, okay, do you actually have an opinion or did you just leave this thing open knowing that there's going to be this question? You don't know what the answer is either. And you right. just love making everybody ask the question. Like, yeah, I think it's that more than, yeah. I don't think he knows either. So <laughs> I love some of the action stuff that like the hallway fight. That, yes. Yeah. That Arthur has is really cool. There's some, that's the next one I had. Yep. It's a little matrixy like in a way, mm -hmm. like just cause physics don't count. Yeah. Um, because we're in a dream, um, which is basically what the Matrix is too. There's a there's a parallel universe here somewhere, yep. right? Between these two <laughs> things. Um, so that one was really awesome. And then I I don't know the whole racing down the mountain once yeah. they get to the third level is really fun. Um, Eames gets to shine a little bit again and do yes crazy Tom Hardy things that only Tom Hardy could do. So yeah, my next I had the van flip and the hotel hall fight that kind of like coincide with each other. And then I had the second half of the snow base because it like it really starts to get pretty long there. And so I really like the post kick, like dropping without gravity. It's like they have the snow base interspersed with like yeah. um, Arthur on the hotel level in level two, um, making sure that everybody's uh, going to go. We'll, we'll revisit that in uh, plot holes and quibbles. Yes. Th that part is so hard to like figure out like whatever I down for favorite scene scenes. We just jump between three different scenes like every 10 seconds. Right. Like we're yeah. here. We're at the van. No, we're in the hotel. No, we're on the mountain. <laughs> like that. that awesome this movie ruins favorite scene and yes. like giving an accurate, dis accurate description of like, that's why I was like second half of snow base post kick dropping without gravity. I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I sound like a madman. Yeah. Oh, I, I do love how Arthur comes up with this whole play. All right, they need a kick, but we don't have gravity. So like figures out this whole, all right, I'm just going to disconnect the elevator and do all this crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And did it drive Xavier nuts because the time is different? I was or, just going to say, because since it's explained to us, like, this is genius by Nolan to like yes. add in this whole, Oh, well time doesn't work the same. Like this amount of time yeah. is long so that you can do whatever you want. I mean, that's really all it's there it, for. It does give you license, but he really took that license and ran with it ran because, with it. um, so let's do it now. So he says that three minutes on the first level, is 10 minutes on the second level is 60 minutes on the third level right but doesn't that go up with yusuf's concoction don't they say something about that that like it's even longer because of the sedation uh, he uses or something okay i thought that i thought that that was that was that was what made it those time frames and so he does a lot in his 10 minutes uh, like wrapping everybody and like Moving putting them, them in the stuff hall. like he gets 60 minutes to do what he's supposed to do where in like <laughs> like like so it's like they like kind of mix that that's what all i'll kind of say is like yeah it's plot. almost like more happens on the second level than the third yes level. than the third level right yeah okay that's my plot hole and we haven't even gotten to the fourth level so yeah no. the only other things that you kind of mentioned like finally revealing the full truth about mal um, with Ariande, your mind was already blown in this movie. Like, even without that part, right? It's like this is so cool. This is so crazy. And then when you get to the point where he explains how he inceptioned his own wife, like that's how he knew it was possible. And 
mm-hmm. and the repercussions of that. Right. Like you said, it was just like crushing and mm-hmm. just it just sends this movie even more over the top than it already was. Like just wow. And the juxtaposition that you see of like what's going the catharsis of like the the son and the the father and how the inception was like a good thing for him to finally like grieve his dad and be like, yeah, it was a disappointment, but these are the things that I'm going to do. It, or at least that's what it seems like. It's presented yeah. as like a catharsis and, and how those, those things could be perceived in two. So totally separate ways, you know, like yeah. the inception isn't always a bad thing, but, and it wasn't in ill, ill intended, with uh with Cobb but the consequences of his actions like uh come to fruition so yeah yeah the ripple effect was much more than he wanted so mm-hmm. and of course you have to put the very last moment yeah you, yeah I kind of uh, have that as kind of like an epilogue it's like everything's resolved and it's like all right what happens but of course it's like the thing that everybody wants to point to it's like uh, and we'll put that in under and unanswerable questions since uh, that's like the ultimate unanswerable question yeah. from a movie. But but we'll talk about uh, some some thoughts and some clues how how uh, Nolan at least kind of leads you in some different directions. Um, so, all right, Drax Award. This since we've talked about how exposition heavy this is, it's hard not to. You don't really want to put in some exposition stuff in here, even though it's cool and it sounds cool. I don't really want to quote exposition. So <laughs> I have a little bit of exposition because a couple of these were too good. I like them mm. too much. Uh, Cobb early on says, what, what's, what's the most resilient parasite? Bacteria? Virus? An intestinal worm? Which is a great moment because Saito's eating, right? Like a noodle right at that <laughs> moment too. And like stops eating like it grosses him out. Right. And he goes, an idea. Resilient. Highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An mm. idea that's fully formed, fully understood, that sticks right in there. And it points at his head. Yeah. Uh, I love the the beginning of the movie where Saito says uh, he's kind of he's obviously an old man, and this is it's at the beginning of the movie, but it's really uh at the end of the movie and he goes you remind me of someone a man i met in a half remembered dream he was possessed of some radical notions when they go to uh yusuf's place and they're talking about all these guys that come there and somebody i don't even i didn't write down who asks it somebody mm-hmm. in the group goes they come here every day to sleep and the old man that's there says no they come to be woken up mm-hmm uh, I, I love Saito. This is kind of a foreshadowing. Um, uh, he says, don't you want to take a leap of faith? And it's it's a kind of a double meaning because we hear we hear Mal talk about it later on too. Um, the leap of faith. Don't you want to take a leap of faith or become an old man filled with regret waiting to die alone? And so yeah. he's he's really like playing on him. And, but that leap of faith is really what catches Cobb's attention. Um, like, and of course, Saito doesn't realize that he's doing it, but we realize why it really grips him. And, and he's like, okay, I need to go back and be with my family. Like, this is the thing. It's the one last job. It's the cliche, one last job to get, <laughs> get back into the life that he wants to lead. Um, 
That's an interesting thing. Like I have it kind of later on, but um, it's interesting how uh, Nolan flips. Like these guys are kind of bad guys. Like it's kind of the yeah. Ocean's Eleven um, kind of thing where it's like it's the bad guys that you root for because there's just enough like um, they're redeeming in enough ways and they, they aren't bad enough guys that you don't want to like uh, that you can't help but root for them. But uh, in that similar vein, you know, so yeah, just like totally. all heist movies are so totally. Yeah. Yeah, we never have a heist movie where we cheer for the cops. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, is SWAT the only, like, SWAT maybe goes the other way. That's kind of heisty. They're trying to get the yeah. the prisoner back. And so it's, except you don't get to watch all the fun parts of the heist because it's about the cops. But otherwise, we're always with the bad guys. It's true. Um, Point break. Fast and <laughs> Furious what? Fast and Furious. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny Utah. Yeah, sounds like he belongs on season four of the OC. Right. Um, I love Eames. Somebody's shooting at something with some little gun, and then Eames pulls out a rocket launcher yeah. and goes, "You mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling." <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's to Arthur. Yeah, it's to Arthur. Yeah. Definitely to Arthur. Yeah, uh, which is funny because it's just like like. Uh, Cobb is constantly out there with his little like golden eye, like silence PP seven, like just like <laughs> pew 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 pew. I'm just like, where where do like do I get it at the beginning, like he's trying to stay stealthy and he's yes. trying to figure out some stuff, but but once they're on to you, what yeah. are you waiting for? Yeah, just bring it out, man. Um, I had that one as well. Um, I like the Cobb and Ariadne uh, discussion where he says. Uh, I need to get home. That's all I care about right now. And she says, why can't you go home? And Cobb says, because I think they think I killed her. And she's silent. And he goes, thank you. She says, for what? For not asking whether I did it. I, I had that one too. That was a good, good little moment. Um, Saito, when they start talking about the 747, um, I think it's it's probably Arthur because it's something mm -hmm. logical. So Arthur's like, well, we'll right. have to buy up the whole thing or whatever. And Saito gets this funny look and goes, I bought the airline. Or I bought the... <laughs> it seemed neater. Like, it seemed neater. <laughs> I just bought the whole thing. It's very, very Bruce Wayne. Right. I bought the bank. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Arthur and Eames again. Um, Eames, I am impressed. And Eames says, your condescension, as always, is much appreciated, Arthur. Thank you. <laughs> I had that one, too. Yeah. Um, I wrote down that whole thing because it's pretty funny, but it's it's all just to build up to that moment at the end. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Your condescension is always much appreciated. Um, Arthur talking to Ariande says, so, uh, so now you've noticed how much time Cobb spends doing things he told you never to do. Yep. I love that one too. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned it before, so I can't help but uh, go back to the echo of that. Um, Mal is sitting on the ledge talking to Cobb. I'm asking you to take a leap of faith. And Cobb says, no, I can't. You know, I can't do that. Take a second. Think about our children. Think about James and think about Philippa now. Just the like DiCaprio just sells that whole like scene like she does a good job but like he 
it all seems like everything seems so fake because we're talking about dreams and everything just kind of keeps popping in and out of it. But that real moment and the effects of like the dream and like the real consequences um, were just so like just gut wrenching, just gut punch, just boom, boom, boom uh, in that moment. So Cobb talking about. Uh, Mal says she had locked something away, something deep inside, a mm-hmm. truth she had once known, but chose to forget, and she couldn't break free. So I decided to search for it. I went deep into the recess of her mind and found that secret place, and I broke in. Yeah. I had that uh, um, that whole thing, and then um, he says, "What?" or Ariadne says, what happened when you woke up? And she said, to wake up from that after years after decades after we've become old souls thrown back into youth like that i knew something was wrong with her she just wouldn't admit it eventually she told me the truth she was possessed by an idea this one very simple idea that changed everything that our world wasn't real which of course was the inception that he planted there that she needed to wake up to come back to reality that in order to get back home we had to kill ourselves so I've got some more on that as we get into uh, some of our questions. So I thought that that was a, a big one to at least make sure that we uh, we quoted uh, since it's uh, something that I'd like to reference a little bit later. So uh, let's move on to uh, recognize my face. I just have one. Me too. Uh, Pete Postlewaite. Oh, okay. If that's how you say his last name. Yeah, um, he plays Maurice, the father, like the old mm-hmm. man, Fisher's dad. He's he's Roland in Lost World, Jurassic Park, the hunter, the mm. big game hunter. Oh, um, right, 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 right. He's in Romeo and Juliet. I think he plays like the priest. Um, and speaking of playing priests, he's the priest in Dragonheart who's running around <laughs> with him. Talk about guilty pleasure movies, weird, goofy 90s movies. So I had uh, Berenger uh, as Jake Taylor. That's 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 legit. I mean, it works. It's been a while. I just see him, man. Right. Hey, he's Berenger. Tom Berenger. Yeah. The substitute. Um, yeah. The substitute. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. Um, so the who beef section might be like the smallest that we've ever had, but let's let's go for it. Does it hold up? Uh, y- yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Why is this a question? Um, I mean, partially when you make something so crazy, like it's just such a trip, just like blows your mind in this weird way. It's like, how's it not going to hold up unless yeah. they actually really invent inception? Like unless someday in the future, people are really doing this to each other where they really go in each other's dreams and they'd be like, yeah. Oh, see, this isn't how it works. Like the Christopher Nolan was totally wrong. Um, I don't see how it doesn't hold up. The practical effects and the way that they shot all of these things. Like, I have a feeling that um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now that uh, seems extremely impressive, like maybe like 40, 50 years ago, just because it was more practical and kind of goes like, oh, that's aged well, like over time. Um, like Star Wars, like is probably one of the closer things, but even that has a little bit of jankiness to it, you know, but I can imagine like our kids watching this or our grandkids watching this and being like, that's 
really cool looking you know obviously they're gonna have some things that oh that's what that is in reference to you know <laughs> um it's been copied like a million times like dr strange did like as soon as like dr Str i was like oh inception you guys really liked inception okay cool you know so it might be done like a million times by then but oh man i just can't imagine this not looking cool like over the years because of the way that they they managed to to make it look so real you know I yeah know. like if you go back and watch the matrix now mm -hmm. it's not as impressive as it was when it came out like I would it's say so the cool. Matrix is, but not. I would agree that the Matrix Two and Matrix Three. Oh yeah, more more the second and third ones. Yeah, for sure. But like we can see that kind of stuff, and there, there's parts the second, third one especially, like that whole ridiculous in the second one where he fights like a million of those guys. That's like yeah. super CGI. You're just like, yeah, yeah, that looks bad now. Like, yeah, we can do better than this. But you're right that the practical way that they did so much of this movie cuts that out. Like, you're not mm -hmm. going to look at this and go, oh, that's some bad CGI right there. Like, yeah. you don't notice it at all. Yeah. That train is old, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like they just put a, they put a train there, you know? So, um, least favorite scene. I literally wrote down, I don't have one. No, I hate that her, the kid's name is Philippa because it sounds like a stupid name. But other than that, <laughs> that's as close as I came. What? I always feel like they're mispronouncing it or they forget her name. What is Philippa? Yeah. What is that? It's her almost mom's as bad French. as Ariadne. Um, yeah. Her mom is French. She has to uh she has to to throw that in there. Philippa. Yeah. Uh if you were to edit the movie, what would you remove? What could you possibly remove? The only thing that I could get like a little bit, so it's, it's like a two and a half hours. So it's, it's getting up there. Like the length of the COBOL engineering escape in Mombasa. Seems yeah. Just a little bit long. Um, but what are we saving there? You know, yeah. that's the only thing I could really get to. And I, yeah. I thought really long and hard about it. I was just like, <laughs> all of this is required. Like, each part like really gets us to uh or feeds into the next part so yeah the only time you realize it's two and a half hours long is when you don't have two and a half hours and you're trying right. to watch it anyway and you're like <laughs> well, i have that much left how is there still so much left but right it's not, it's not a yeah. bad thing it's you're a furiously trying to watch it before uh you record a podcast on it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah those kinds of things or you have to pick up your kid from school or something like you know right um Let's see here. Plot holes and quibbles. I do have a few questions in, in here. Okay. Like for one, how does he get to the beach at the end slash beginning? Like that's the one that I can't figure out. He's sitting there with Mal. Yeah. At one point. And then the next time you see him, he's face down in the water, like on the beach with water splashing on his face. And it's like, wait, what just happened? Like, some of it almost felt like we just ran out of time, so we can't explain some things. So we're just going to make a couple jumps here, because you've hung with us for two and a half, two hours and twenty minutes at this point. So you're not going to care about a couple little jumps here, right? I think that that's essentially like the hey, you know that he's down at limbo. Like it doesn't matter how he gets there. We need to get there fast. Like so, so he's down there and he's built like his area and they're sharing the dream with him. Saito's sharing the dream with him. 
he it, it's almost as if like he's been too tired like trying to find where Saito is inside of his giant limbo is the only thing that I can think of like because that's the question that I had as well uh, that didn't really have like a straightforward answer so um how is saying come back equivalent to a kick like they make a big deal about how you have to have the kick to come back and then at the very end like Ariadne tells him all right, make sure you come back. And then he just says it to Saito. Like mm, when Cobb mm-hmm. and Saito are down there, he's just like, come back, come back. And then they just wake up and everything's fine. And you're kind of like. I think that it's like, it's inferred that they, like he reminded him of who he was because it's been so long, but then, and they reminded each other. Like if he so was like the self-awareness that, yes. oh, we're in this thing that allows but, them to come out of it. But also, they might have lived like another like ten years waiting for the uh, the effects of Yusuf's um, concoction <laughs> to like wear off. But they had each other, like Mao yeah. and Cobb did. You know, like had he not had Cobb go there and like tell him like, "Hey, we're in a dream, and like you're in limbo." Like that's that's the only thing that I can come up with that that really like because i think like for the purposes of editing and trying to like yeah like, oh yeah like like i think that's the only thing that makes sense is that for the narrative purposes like he's just going to make them wake up but they live the lifetime down there in limbo because Cobb went to go find him you know that one has some explainable like yeah we just don't necessarily see it which is okay because we don't need yeah. to add a whole hour of uh, Cobb and Saito hanging out eating noodles. I so. want montage of Saito <laughs> and Cobb living together, friends forever. <laughs> Cobb pushing Saito in his wheelchair. Right. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I, I also partially don't know. So, like, there's a kick that only wakes them up to like the next level but not all the way yes sometimes and some of that because like yusuf specifically says like oh my stuff is specially formulated so that it doesn't impair inner ear function right but like that should only work on like the real person that shouldn't work like level by level you know what i mean mm. it's not like oh your inner ear function works on level two but it, it wasn't enough to make it go all the way back to level one like no that's just your body that has inner ear function it's not like a function of the your projection in this dream like oh my level two person down here still has inner ear function so they can experience a kick like your body experiences the kick not your mind if that makes sense no i i think i understand what you're saying i think that they, he just set up the rules like in his own like <laughs> little world as 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 if to say like oh well, you can only kick up a level and then you have to do something to kick up, like, which is why uh, Arthur's there to like, and they always have an architect at each or a dreamer at each yeah. level to kind of make sure that the kick goes up, which is why it's like you see it in the first one. It's just the first two levels, but then they're like, all right, we're going to introduce a third level. Ooh. Yeah. Like they make a big deal. Like we need the simultaneous kick to go back through all these levels. And it's like, mm-hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't the kick of your actual body like pull you out of all the levels? I don't. That's a good one. So anyway, yeah. 
Why does only uh, Cobb's mind mess with stuff? Like, I know why his messes with everything more. Like, because he has locked away his mm-hmm. stuff and, like, it's trying to get out. But, like, you don't see a single other projection that does anything weird from anybody else. Like, you cannot tell me that Eames does not have some issues and some skeletons in the closet, okay? <laughs> I'm just, like... Nothing else that anybody else does is weird that pops up at all. Like, I could have just used... Oh, that's, you know, some random thing that Arthur does or yeah, something. I think that it was just more of a plot device, a plot device to show is like a manifestation of his extreme guilt yeah. for like having to, to deal with Mal. But you're right. Like these are all. And like, Eames should have like like 27 kids running around or something <laughs> like there should be something weird about this character. Why do you why do you just automatically assume that Eames is, is Am that I guy? wrong? Am no, I wrong? you're wrong. You're right. You're yeah. right. Come on now. <laughs> Um, what else do you got? The stairs don't make sense to me. I know partially they're not supposed to make sense to me. The when the Penrose steps, the Penrose steps, yeah, because he just goes around, but at one point, does it stop going around? Like he can use them so that he just ends up walking up behind someone else again because they're always going up, yeah. but then at some point, there's no more stairs and. He like kicks someone off the end of it because there's no stair. I, I just don't fully understand it, which I'm not supposed to. I don't think. No, like that was Christopher Nolan announcing to the world, like I'm a big MC Escher nerd. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that was what that was to me. Like he, he was just like, I've got this huge, big Hollywood budget movie, and I'm gonna put some stuff for me like you know how we talk about like the one for them one for me he did that like right in the middle of this movie middle. and he did it twice for me and he did it twice he set you up with it and then he was like i'm gonna use this as a cool payoff and everyone's gonna be like but why <laughs> so um these cobalt thugs uh the cobalt engineering guys in mombasa like are as accurate as stormtroopers like cops should have been dead like 17 times it's like running yeah. down like an alley yeah with walls where he has nowhere to hide and they can't hit him for like a full minute of running xavier cackled so loud uh the this one's the subconscious ones the subconscious like in the penrose steps where like joseph gordon levitt did the like thing and it's supposed to infer that like he faked him out by like he's above him and that's how he like made that happen but like just the way that it looks and it's filmed, it's just like he's like right there, bang, 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 and he's like, how, how did he miss him? He's so bad. <laughs> it's like he was laughing at one of his buddies playing like a, a first person shooter or something. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're Josh. <laughs> so the thing that I latched onto in this, you know, how you said that there's always just something that you 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 grab from like in the most recent or the each time you view it, um, the totem was Mal's. How do we know that it measures Cobb's reality? Like, that's what he uses as his totem. But if it's Mal's, like, it's almost like a, it, it could be perceived as an unreliable narrator. You know, like, hey, this is the thing that I use to measure reality, but it's somebody else's reality. You know, just kind of 
threw me for a loop there. Um, but we'll we'll get into that a little bit a little bit later with some theory time. Um, we already talked about Arthur's time in the dream is way more than the, I think that it's, I wrote down three minutes, but I think three minutes is the first level and 10 minutes was his level and 60 minutes was the lower level. If I'm not mistaken, still way too much time. Way too much. Yeah. Um, this is the biggest plot hole for me. Why don't they just move the kids to somewhere where he can be? <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> That's a great question. I, I put, I did write something down, but like, if he's just like super hunted fugitive, how come he can go everywhere but this one place? Like, yeah. Okay. You can't, like, I get extradition laws, but right. He's not, he's like in France. Like, he's not in like crazy places. <laughs> he just like walks up to see, and, and wouldn't they be watching? Yeah. Like, his father in law, like, hey, I'll send presents with grandpa. They're on the phone line, right? If he's right. really this wanted fugitive, they're tapping that call. They know where he is. Yeah. They're watching him. And they kind of see like he shows up like at his like office hours or whatever or, or in his. And so it's almost like inferred, like he just kind of shows up and announced and just kind of, but you're right. Like if he really was as wanted as it, the story makes you seem, uh, uh, makes it out to be like, yeah, it would be a little bit more difficult. He would, he would probably find some little clandestine like subway approach rather than like going to his office hours, you know? Yeah. So. Stealthy walking on yep. the college campus. All right. Um, breakout performance. Does this count for Tom Hardy? I put him in before they were stars. That works too. So, so everything is, really big comes after this, like Bane, Mad Max, Venom, yeah. Peaky Blinders is all after, unless you want to count his role in uh, Star Trek Nemesis that I didn't know about until I researched for this movie. Right? I'm like, what? Like, that's Tom he's, Hardy? He's got the weirdest, like, and that's why I kind of want to put it, kind of wanted to put it in before their stars, because I, I just wasn't sure. It's, it's also, it, it could be both. Like, I'll, I'll give it both. But he... It's like both and like he was like in, in the moment. It was kind of before they were stars. But now that we know who Tom Hardy is and you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, he's so good in this movie. Right. Um, he was in a movie called Layer Cake with Daniel Craig. Um, it was kind of like a Guy Ritchie movie that wasn't directed by Guy Ritchie about like a British gangsters. And he was kind of like his right hand man in that. And then he was in Black Hawk Down and Band of Brothers and Star Trek Nemesis. So I posit that Tom Hardy, by, by virtue of being in both Band of Brothers and Black Hawk Down, is now the new Kevin Bacon. <laughs> because you can tie any male actor back to two movies, <laughs> or to a movie in a TV series, Black Hawk Down and Band of Brothers. Come at me. Like, he's the new, like, cheat code with six degrees of Tom Hardy. So... Can we put him and are him and Kevin Bacon ever like directly in, is it the in same? a movie? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, but I can I can easily get to uh, to anybody I want like post Kevin Hardy. Bacon through Tom Hardy. <laughs> if awesome. I can if I could find like a step from Kevin Bacon to somebody that's worked with Tom Hardy, uh, it's going to be super easy. Cheat code, yeah. So, so I didn't realize that he was the Hardy in either Bacon of those game movies. Now? Hardy bacon game. Hardy bacon. It's Hardy bacon. 
Love it. Love it. So here's the thing with uh, Hardy. Um, he goes on to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in like the next year in 11. And then Warrior, um, you're probably right. It's probably a little bit of, it's more of a breakout than it is a before they were stars. You're right. I had Joseph Gordon-Levitt in my breakout, but his was like, he was already a little bit on the cusp. And he, this one like really kind of shoved him over the edge. You know, he started, he did like 50-50 with um, Seth Rogen uh, the year after. And so he was already probably in line for that role. And then really kind of goes on to a couple of good movies and then just kind of decides that he's going to like fade out and do this weird, like, who's the guy that passes on all the, all the memes on Facebook? Was it Tyrese Gibson? Was <laughs> Like he seemed like perfectly content to like help people like create and share like movies and like videos and shorts and stuff like that. Like with, I can't remember what his thing was, but anyway, I've been, I've been a little bit, I've, I had a Joseph Gordon Levitt hole like in my heart, like <laughs> a hole shape in my heart. I need more. I need, I need more. more Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yes. So. Although I think with Joseph Gordon Levitt, there's like a huge portion of the population that's always like, Hey, what's that kid from Third Rock from the Sun doing in this movie? Right. Like, he's just Tommy the whole time for some people. So, yeah. He's just Cameron for us because we're 10 things I hate about you people. But Cameron. <laughs> now, I, I, I agree with you. I think that I think it's Tom Hardy because um, it's so close. It's not like there's not enough of a there's not enough of a break there. And Joseph Gordon Lovett was kind of close. Um, depends on your mileage of Brick with Ryan, uh, Ryan Johnson's uh, movie Brick, which I love. So he had already broken out before this uh, for me in my eyes. Did everybody else in uh, before they were stars? No, no. Did I you? went Cillian Murphy, but I feel like yeah. it's more calling a shot because I don't think the breakout is fully like not on this. I think there's a whole other level of like yeah, real breakout like, star like. Like he's his, kind of like uh, the oh, Peaky Blinders Nolan fan, yeah, and you yeah. know who Cillian Murphy is. But I'm yeah. hoping Oppenheimer will just make me look like a genius for putting him in. There's before they were stars. Yeah. Yep. Uh, iconic moment. What's the top spinning? I mean, I have three. I had two. Okay. I have the but, top spinning, and I have I have the the building, the city, like yeah, the, the city folding, the city on, folding itself. on itself. So, so I had the city folding in on itself and the spinning top like you had, uh, but I also put the fighting on the roof of the the hotel, like in the hallway. Like the, I remember seeing that like in the, the trailers and going, oh my gosh, that's going to be so awesome. And it wasn't like as great as you would think in your mind's eye, but it's still really cool and it's really iconic. Like if you show somebody like that senior, like Inception. Like, I know exactly what that is. Like, just yeah. to give him a blink of that. So, yeah. Fair, fair. All right. Uh, Emperor Palpatine, Jim Carrey, Unlimited Power Over Actor Award. I gave it to Leo for the moment when Mal jumps off the building. <gasps> you don't like it. Okay. No, no, no. I like it, but it's it's a lot. Like, it's a lot. And, I, and it would be a lot. I mean, like, you put yourself in his shoes. I'm freaking out, too. But, like... Yeah. It just kind of, it almost startles you the way yes. he screams. Yeah. And 
mostly that's what i, I love was, about it it's so i was kind of grasping yeah. for straws though like there really yeah. wasn't anything right yeah 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 nothing feels like out of place over the top Mm-mm. too much in this movie like there's that's not what a... i love about nolan movies he's like no that's not what we do here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will never see a uh, jim carrey christopher nolan collaboration i don't, yeah. I don't think that's no. in the future anyway. yeah i i kind of did the same thing i was grasping i, I think mal is the closest but it's only because of the way that her projection acts like inside of yeah. Cobb's mind, you know, and he, he even admits it. He's like, you're just uh, like just some made up image, some like half truth of like what, like you're the best that I could do, you know? So technical cinematography, nerd stuff. Do you have anything? Um, I read a quote, a cool quote from Nolan where he's talking about how the team is based on the idea of a movie production like you mm-hmm. have a writer mm-hmm. a director a designer an actor um you even have like the producer and a studio exec and like he's like i took the world i knew like the structure i knew and like put it into this world like all those same the way those things interact and interplay and that's just a crazy thought to me too like he took something so simple mm-hmm. like at its core like hey this is how we make a movie like here's all the different parts you need to have to do this and then threw it into this craziness and we get inception from that and this psychotic movie that we love. So it was a cool little idea just fitting. Yeah. I, I really love uh Saito's castle like, and the post kick scene with the water like coming in and they have Leo actually in that scene where all that water comes in there and like just completely envelops him. Um, so I thought that that was just kind of a, a little cowboy switch where they're just like, oh, hey, uh, uh, stunt double, go go in there and, and have all this water dump uh, on you. I just love the 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 entire snow base scene. Like, okay. it's just so cool. Like, the way that it looks, the way that they, they run the action through it, um, I just, I don't know, the way that it's shot. It's just, it's just really enjoyable. Like every, every time I watch it, I can't wait until that scene comes up. So um, those are, those are two, two big ones that I like, but that last scene of uh, Saddle's castle, like where all the, what the water's popping in, it's not necessarily like the iconic imagery that anybody thinks of, but just a a nod that I wanted to, to, to mention Uh, favorite song or score moment. This one doesn't have as much of a, it's a recognize. Actually, I shouldn't say that. It's a recognizable score, but it's not one that you're just like, you know what I'm going to listen to right now <laughs> while no. I'm studying or I'm writing a paper. Or I'm doing some mindless work. It's some Inception soundtrack, you know. But it really fits with it uh, does. with the movie. No, I think part of it, like, it does fit well. But I think also you're so engaged with mm, what's happening, mm-hmm. like you're trying to figure out what's happening. And like yes. trying to wrap your brain around stuff that there's not any like there's no sit back and just enjoy the scenery and listen to this swelling of music like right everything's so tent like mm-hmm. I wrote down the part where like where the van is finally like yes down like there's some really great music in that that builds the tension mm-hmm. even more not that it wasn't built already just watching this stuff but you're so focused on like when's it gonna hit and is Arthur gonna get his stuff done or are they like you're so invested in all these different things that you don't have time to really focus on the music. Right. But 
that's okay. Zimmer just adds to it and keeps you pointed in the right direction so that you're you're sitting on the edge of your seat. The one time that I did write a note, um, and I probably missed the van one, like you mentioned, was uh, the previously mentioned like hallway hotel fight. Yeah. Like, like there's some some really good like swelling and like hitting like hits as much of a like of the theme and the 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 score as as you get in this movie. So yeah. All right, uh, spiritual metaphors and illustrations. Oh, he's cracking his knuckles. He's getting he's ready stretched to go. out because this he's... is craziness. All right, <laughs> no, no, it's actually this is going to sound weird. It's actually pretty straightforward. Yeah. in some ways for uh-huh. for a spiritual metaphor because it's just simply like how do you know what's real how do you yeah. know what's true mm-hmm. um and there's a couple good examples to look at because like Cobb clearly is like he's defined by his guilt like that's a literal line in the movie i'm not even having right. a stretch for this mm-hmm. um because the and so that's that's what's real and true to him like that's what his identity is found in is his guilt um mal asked Cobb this question she's like what do you believe what do you feel like? And she says it like back to back because those things are tied together for her and, and well for him basically, cause it's not really mm-hmm. her. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, but like the implication is that those are connected. So like, am I building things based on how I feel? Am I building things based upon my guilt? Like all these things that define us and, and even the whole, I mean, the whole concept of inception, like this idea defines you. I mean, that's, that's a line in there too. Like it can grow to define you or destroy you, um, mm-hmm. which aren't necessarily, mutually they can both exclusive. happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not exclusive at all. This is who you are and it's destroying you. Um, so, I mean, like the whole movie just kind of begs the question, like, what is your world built on? How do you know what's real and what's true? Like, what do you, what do you find yourself in? How do you know who you are even, you know, like that's Mal's problem. Like she, she doesn't know what's real anymore. And so she jumps off a building because she thinks this isn't real and I need to go find what's real. And like life's not quite that crazy for most people, hopefully. Right. But Mm -hmm. it does get pretty crazy. And like navigating through the real world is not any easier sometimes than what we see in inception, like trying to figure out what is really important and what is really true for me. Um, And that's why, Jesus tells us, like, build your life on the rock, like on this thing that is steady and sure that that doesn't change. You know, that's that's why constantly the Bible talks about, like, the word of the Lord endures forever. Like, mm-hmm. you can build on this. You can. This is real. This is sure. This is steady. When nothing else makes sense, when nothing else seems certain, hold on to this because it's not going anywhere. Because um, that's that's what's true. Jesus is what's true. He's what's real. That's what we get to build our lives on. Our our reality is based on him, you know, and anything else that comes doesn't change us because that's what we're built on. Like, that's what's so awesome is that nothing else can change that. Like our feelings change and our perspective on things change. And you see how guilt and all that stuff affects people in this movie that right. they're just flipped upside down over stuff because they're trying to figure out what's where they have to carry around these little totems like. Oh yeah, I have to check. This is real. Um, I don't have to check what's real. I get to hold on to the one that's real, and so that that helps 
to stand firm, to know what I'm supposed to be holding on to, who I'm supposed to be, what things are built on. So it's such a cool picture of identity, finding yourself, having something sure and steady to hold on to. So I love this movie for spiritual metaphor. Oh, absolutely. I had a couple of different thoughts. Um, uh, Lamar mentioned this uh, in his last sermon, and it just really spoke to me as I was like watching the movie again this week. Uh, and it's Proverbs twenty eight nineteen: those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. And it's just kind of like reminds you of like, like they consistently were outside of the real world. You know, they were in the dream. Um, and they, that was where they wanted to be rather than reality. And we have to worry about like, especially idolatry, like, um, as, as it, uh, their, their, the dream world for them was like an idol. And that's what these fantasies become if we're not, uh, if we're, if we don't guard our hearts against them. And then similar to what you talked about with how we cope with guilt and how God provides the opportunity for us to be forgiven of our sins through Jesus Christ. Like um, it's, it's similar to like, I, I thought that he tied it in really well in a, in that, in whether or not Nolan meant this or not, but I felt like it was a good example of it. Our sin always affects others. So how oh, yeah. Cobb, how Cobb kind of like the sins, his sins are, is, is going to affect his team. And it ultimately it does like Saito is 100% a casualty of, of Cobb's sins, <laughs> like, like literally uh, uh, of, and so Mal comes in there and he can't like shoot her before she shoots him, you know, or Fisher is um, Saito is not, they've, they've managed to figure out a way to, to get around that. But uh, it just kind of reminds me of this, uh, this CS Lewis um, story in mere Christianity, where he compares like Christians living the moral life to like a fleet of ship, a fleet of ships. If one ship is out of order, it's likely to affect all the other ships. So it's like everyone thinks like, oh, I'm a man and I'm an island unto myself. And like <laughs> I can kind of sin and I can sin and, and it doesn't affect anybody. And it's like, no, like you're part of a community and these things will absolutely do that. Um, uh, the other thing that I uh, it just reminded me of was uh, Romans 12 to like, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what, what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. They're constantly testing themselves against like what's reality and what's not like, and that's what we can do as well. Um, when we like take the time to be in his word and, uh, to, to pray and, and talk to him kind of testing ourselves against like the realities of the world. And like, that's similar to how like the pieces of Fisher's subconscious were trained to attack, like those that were invading his dreams to do harm. Like we can guard our hearts and our minds this way, um, to prevent the evil things of this world kind of from invading our thoughts. Like those, those things that are just constantly like, uh, imposter syndrome and we're not good enough or God doesn't want us to have these things because of all the things that we've done in our past, like all those things that like, if we test those things against what he tells us, Hey, he loves us. He wants to forgive us. Like he wants us to come to him instead of, um, just kind of beating ourselves up, uh, on, on, on the guilt of all of the things that we have done or continue to do, you know? So, uh, and then the last one that leads me to the last one of just, uh, 
uh, Matthew 6, 22 through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And it just reminds us to like, like, um, especially like here on our podcast, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about pop culture. We have to be mindful of the things that we put into our into our eyes and and we put into our body to help guard our hearts and minds in those types of things. So it just kind of comes full circle with that. So, uh, so uh, random thoughts. What do you, what kind of uh, things did you? I know that I had the um, similar, or you you already mentioned it. The he was. Uh, Nolan was talking about he assembled it similar to the roles that are used in filmmaking. What else did you? What did? What else did you have? Um, if you want to be really tripped out, watch this on like an international overnight flight and fall asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> it's a whole just like different experience to fall asleep in the middle of Inception, and you're watching dreams, and then you're having dreams, and they start mixing and mingling, and, and <laughs> I love that Nolan just introduces these MacGuffins and doesn't explain them and just kind of goes, you trust me. Like he doesn't ever have to explain like the dream machine. He just shows it to you and like, like presses a button. And yeah, like it, and it just like, I I don't know. And we don't ever think about it again. Yeah, it Mm -mm. works. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that I had, and then I answered my own question why does the fourth dream down automatically go to limbo? And this is the rule that Yusuf established. Like he basically said, like we can do three dreams, but anything like more than that, like you'll be like tossed into limbo. So like we were just like sitting there going like, why did they automatically go to limbo? Like right after the, the, the third level and like Yusuf like established that rule, like when, when they were in his den. So um, you get distracted then, by the slapping. You don't hear everything. That's true. So. <laughs> <laughs> and because, and uh, when they're, when they, when they're on the first level and they start shooting, Cobb mentions, or no, uh, Arthur mentions that um, when they go down to limbo, like that uh, it'll, it'll be populated with nothing unless somebody that they share a dream with, has already been down there and has populated it. And so he references like, Hey, since Cobb's already been down there, we'll see all the stuff that you and Mal like uh, had created. So, and then of course, our, uh, Saito re- rebuilds his castle because that's what he knew, you know? So I have a ridiculous question that shows that they're bad parents. <laughs> okay. So they have the kids but they also spend 50 years down in the dream. Like, like even if you do the backwards math, like how long were they just sitting in this machine? Right. Like days at least. Crazy. They were with the grandparents. That was right. Michael Caine and and his wife were hanging out with the grandkids. They gave them a weekend. Can you guys get a weekend? Kids uh, go have fun and they just go, go into the dream world. We're going to spend 50 years in the dream world. That one was the one that I was just like, wow. Rough beat for uh, Philippa Philippa and James. First you (laughs) named him Philippa. Gave this poor girl this dumb name. Now you're just abandoning her. Crazy. 
Crazy stuff. Uh, does the top fall over? I don't know. I say it does. I think it does too. Yeah. Not just because it's nice and tidy and it's what you want. Um, so a couple of different theories. Some people think that uh, Michael Caine in, like, uh, is the one that uh, performs Inception on Cobb. Ooh. And he's the one that like um, uh, plants the seed uh, to him to make it believe it's 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 his idea. Um, he kind of figures out how Saito can can help him and did so in telling him it's his one last job. And then he knows that Cobb's going to come to him to find somebody, and he hooks him up with Ariadne, who then like manages to like help heal him. Like she's the one that goes into his dreams and like, uh, and and helps him confront uh, like Mal, like in the guilt that he has. So that's a good one. I like that one. Um, and then another one was like the wedding ring totem theory. Like whenever you go into, whenever you see him, like in the dream, he has the wedding ring uh, on. But whenever he's outside of it, he doesn't. Uh, have the wedding ring on so like in his dreams he's married to Mao but it, whenever he's in reality uh, he doesn't have the wedding ring on and in the last scene he doesn't have his wedding ring on so it is reality um, and uh, um, once Leonardo DiCaprio was, or um, once uh, Arcane talked about in an interview uh, that Nolan told him like he was like this is a beautiful script, but I have no clue like what any of this means. <laughs> and he's like, just think that all your scenes are reality and all of the other scenes are dreams. And so if that holds true, then the last scene, of course, would be like that he's in reality. So, but he plants enough seeds there that like you, you, you aren't still, you still aren't quite sure, you know, it's always cool to get to the end of a movie and like you don't really know how to fully react. Like you're still processed. I mean, I think as yeah, especially a director like Nolan, probably not all directors, but some directors, lots of directors, good directors, like yeah. they don't just want you to enjoy their movie. They want you to think about their movie the entire ride home afterwards. Right. Like, mm-hmm. They just they want to stick a thought in your brain and just make it stick there <laughs> and stay there. Oh. That was the other theory was that uh, he was he was putting in he was performing Inception on all of the audience members. So yeah. well done. Well done. It hasn't yeah. left my brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's been what, 12, 12, 13 years since this thing came out. Yeah, I still can't get the top out of my head. Yeah. Um, one last little note. Uh, once Leonardo DiCaprio was cast, he spent months with Christopher Nolan working on the script. And Nolan stated, he made some extraordinary contributions to the script and really challenged me to make the script clear, but also to follow its interior logic and really be true to the essence of the characters and the rules we set out. Nolan's wife and producing partner Emma Thomas said that the work DiCaprio did on his character with Chris made the movie less of a puzzle and more of a story of a character audiences could relate to. To this I say, how was this more confusing? Like, if Leo doesn't help us along the way, like, was he just, like, not spouting exposition and he's just like, whatever, 
audience will get it. <laughs> They'll figure it out. <laughs> Let's just not tell them what happens to Mal. Like, right. Do we need to explain kicks? <laughs> uh, you push them off a chair. They'll know. Yeah. They'll get it. They'll get it. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So uh, with that, uh, let's move on to the last. Uh, whose movie is it? I just got to go Christopher Nolan. Okay. Because, you know. He has the run. You got you got Batman Begins. He does Prestige, Dark Knight. He's broken out. Like yeah. Christopher Nolan is a thing. Like yeah. we're all hooked. And this is like the. All right, I'm Christopher Nolan. I have to deliver. What am I going to give you when all the pressure's on? Like this isn't some unknown blowing yeah. us away. This is. It's all all the expectations are there, and he knocks it out of the park. Like yeah. just kills it. It it just delivers and. I still I looked back and like this didn't win him an Oscar. Like Christopher Nolan doesn't have an Oscar. No. How? He like he, it's just unbelievable. I feel like he's this uh, generation's like Martin Scorsese, where like everyone is like enamored with him, will go to see any of his movies no matter what it is, and then like the accolades will come much later. Um, even though like everybody thinks that all of his movies are fantastic and they should have been rewarded prior to this other than like a sound and effects and things like yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's like some, like some, some, some other like ones, that. but there's yeah. no, there's no best director. There's no best picture right. yet, which is like, an absolute like crime against humanity. Right? Yeah. This is the one, this is the one that was up against King's speech, right? Yes. When everything that year, I've never seen that. So I don't, I can't comment. King's speech was a good movie, but it is not on the same level as this. So, um, one of his other movies, it might've been interstellar. One of his other movies that got nominated, it was up the year that the shape of water won best picture. And that's yeah. just a tragedy. Cause that movie's stupid. feel like you're giving me a preview no i oh. didn't even make my list but oh, okay <laughs> that movie was ridiculous although to be fair I, I also watched that on an airplane in the middle of the night so maybe i missed a few things in shape of water but no, it, it's it's a it weird, was bonkers Gu- and weird it, it's a weird Guillermo del toro movie like i liked it but i i don't like it i think to i think mostly it. i just don't like Guillermo del toro like just that <laughs> that's just not my thing he freaks you out yeah so it was nominated for best screenplay and best motion picture of the year. But you're right; it, he did not receive a uh, a uh, an Oscar nomination for best director. Crazy, crazy. All right. Well, that's all we have for Inception. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let us know any of your th- crazy theories or um, questions that you still had after watching this movie. Uh, on our Facebook page at the Faleo Podcast, or on our Instagram at Faleo Podcast, all one word, all lowercase, or uh, at our email at phileopodcast at gmail.com. Great job, Ayers. Good brownies. Good brownies.